Well, we're back for another week. Yes. Another week. Back for the people. We are men of the people, so we're back <laughs> for the people. We have to give the fans what they want. Absolutely. Fans. We are in the entertainment business, after all. Yes, and we are the epitome of entertainment. <laughs> so well, I know I crack myself up. No, but anybody else. <laughs> well, now that I'm a father, I tend to, I tend to do the same thing. So, yeah, you're gonna you you. Will I tell a lot of it. jokes that I laugh at, and then yeah. Carly, Carly, and little man kind of just stand there. So, yeah, you will you will never be you will never get funnier as your life goes on. That's you've you've reached your peak. <laughs> yes. Well, as we record. Pre-tournament World Junior stuff is on, so we won't. We'll, we'll leave it alone. We haven't done our research this year, but U.S. Next and Canada, week. U.S. and Canada pre-tournament is on currently. Yeah, five five was, five it, five game right now. So it's it's usually a five-team tournament, uh, and we know the usuals, right? Russia, Canada, Sweden, Finland, U.S. Every once in a while, Switzerland or Germany will throw a scare into somebody. But as for contenders in the medal round, it's usually a five-team race. And if you get a chance, if you're not already tuned into it, if you get a chance to see it, watch the World Junior Championship. We say this every year. Make sure you get a you make sure you get a look. These are NHL superstars in the making. And these are the guys that your favorite team's going to have on the roster for the next 20 years. So tune in and see them as basically children but it's a great tournament it's for the love of the game and it's passion and it's fast it's really really great entertainment good hockey no so um christmas time christmas time christmas time we mentioned it last week um that usually statistically in the past the threshold the deadline for um Playoff teams based on where you sit is Thanksgiving. Yeah, um, U.S. Thanksgiving is it is you tends to be kind of the the gauge. So if you're in a, a playoff position, come U.S. Thanksgiving, statistically you will be in the playoffs come playoff time. Eighty five percent. Eighty five percent. Um, obviously, come Christmas time, some things change, but um. Again, we're still talking about teams that I think are hitting above their weight class, like we mentioned last last week. Um, teams that maybe aren't living quite up to what they should be or what you expect them to be. And then there's the a, f- a few teams that you can point to and say they're they're where they belong or where yeah. we thought they'd be. Um, I did not think Philadelphia would be playing as well as they are um, now we always pick Philadelphia as a team that we like and we, we see doing things. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily a team that we see hitting above their weight class, but they are playing better than I thought they would be. Um, so they look good. Uh, Pittsburgh is not playing where I thought they'd be. Nope. Uh, North Carolina, North Carolina, Vancouver's I mean, playing well. Is Vancouver a team that's hitting out of their weight class? That's a question. Um, Every week that goes by, you have to say no. I mean, when, no. They, when they started off winning like nine out of 12, I thought, gee, this can't last, but they're not that how long, good. How long, but, can, how long can Nashville and Arizona hang on? 
you know, things yeah. like that. They Nashville and Arizona both are playing good hockey. They're both playing well. But whether whether or not we think they're out of their weight class, how long can they hold on? Nashville's a team to me that I just I don't see them where they're at now come the end of the year. Um they just I I, no, I, I like Ryan O'Reilly, but I just I don't buy him as a number one center. And um, right now, that's who he is in Nashville. And you know, good on on Bruno, Andrew Brunette for for whipping them into shape and having them where they are currently. I just sure. don't I just don't see them come playoff time being in a playoff position. No. Uh, if, even if they do, let's say Calgary and Edmonton, neither one really round into form and take a playoff spot and Nashville blunders in may, maybe Nashville and the Coyotes both stumble into the playoffs. They're not contenders. Uh, you know, I suppose you could make a case that with a goaltender like UC Saros, who can get hot, uh, that they might, they might scare somebody in the first round, but I, but as for actual contenders, no, but like we talked about off camera, good for the fans because save for, you know, the Blackhawks and the Sharks and maybe the Anaheim Ducks, uh, you know, a couple others, Seattle or somebody, Columbus. Most teams can say that we're only a, you know, seven out of 10 streak away from being firmly in a playoff spot. And we, we got, we can contend until spring. So it's, it's good for the, good for viewership and good for fans. It's, uh, I always get it mixed up. Is that, is it, non-parody or parody that we're talking about <laughs> i always i always get the two confused um i think it's parody it's, it's parody and yeah. so parody is good for the fans it makes it exciting so yes it is and um, that's the whole idea behind the salary cap and the drafts re, the restructure of the playoff system in terms of in division matchups rather than just a one verse eight so it makes it for the fans right wrong or different um, right Question for you, a question for you that I have based on this, based on this, and it seems every year we end up talking about it. Are we seeing a Edmonton Oilers team not living up to where they should be, not living up to potential, or are we seeing an Oilers team being right where they are? I've in years past, I've said they're right where they are simply because God love Connor McDavid and how good he is. But one, this isn't the NBA. One guy doesn't do it. No. Um, so, but has the point, I guess the point I'm getting at is they have added pieces in Hyman and a number of other guys. Are they a better roster and as a, a deeper roster and as a result, just simply not living up or are they are they are they where they should be in in this in a way we can say that chicago is where they should be one word answer goaltending uh edmonton is better than than their record shows right now they're they're still 500 they're plus two on the year which is basically even but they've won seven out of their last ten they dug a big, big hole early in the year because they couldn't get consistent goaltending out of either Soup or Skinner. So they've got a long way to go. But 
the fact that they're 500 and they are, you know, they're continuing to play much better. Uh, it's it, for over the last 15, 20 games, they're playing a whole lot better. So I still, I don't count them out. I think they are actually better than what they're showing. I think Calgary should be better than where they are, but I don't believe that either of those two teams can contend with LA or Vegas and Vancouver is yet to be seen. Yep. That's true. And deeper runs say they do get by in LA or Vegas. They'd have to then go through um, Dallas, Winnipeg or Colorado. Right. So there's that. Um, It can happen. It can happen, but yeah. So it's just, it's a question. Um, And the same thought can be said for St. Louis with a new yeah. coach, are they are they a team that can squeak in on a wild card? You know, what what are they looking at now that it's Christmas time? About half the halfway point. Um, they're still they're above five hundred. Also, um, they're so they're you'd have to you'd have to say that certainly there's a chance there, and they've got a they've got a pretty solid roster, but that's just not going to cut it. When teams have improved as much as say Winnipeg and Vancouver and you've already in LA and you've already got a contender in Vegas being pretty good is not going to be good enough. It just, it just won't, it might get you a playoff round. It might, you know, sell a few jerseys, but it's not going to be good enough. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Um, And that's all over the East too. That's, you know, you take, uh, Buffalo and, and Montreal and Detroit, all of whom are playing pretty well. It's not good enough. You got Boston and Florida and, and Toronto and Tampa and, and the Rangers. My gosh, the Rangers, I've, I've seen, uh, I've seen them play as well as anybody in the game right now, uh, off and on, but here's a, here's another point alongside of all of this that I'd like to get an opinion on. Is it my imagination or are there more seven, eight, nine goal games every week this year than maybe I've seen in the last 25 years? You get team good teams that go out and just step in it at night and give up a touchdown. And I don't I remember seeing a lot of games that, you know, well, gee, we got walloped four to nothing. But we're talking about teams that are losing eight to one. I, th- I think I think team. I've noticed that. I think it speaks to you're seeing more consistent inconsistencies yeah across the board yeah than you have in years past i mean the avalanche in 2022 were a consistent team through the regular season and playoffs i mean they ran away with it from three weeks into the season until until they lifted the cup they ran away with it 12 and four record in the playoffs which is unheard of in today's game i mean and everything like that whereas today this year, currently, it seems every team has moments of inconsistency. The only, yeah. the only, the only two teams, which as an Avalanche fan is frustrating, but the only two teams that I could point to so far that have played pretty solid the whole year so far are Dallas and Winnipeg. Yeah. And and that's within the division. I mean, you could probably say the same about um, L.A. Definitely. uh, New York. Maybe Vegas, though Vegas has started to dip just a little bit. But 
<clears throat> nonetheless, it seems 25 out of 32 teams all are going through the same thing where they where they're questioning some consistency. I mean, it just and that to me, that's the, the point to it. It's less about whether or not, you know, Vasilevsky is a top tier goaltender and more about, you know, what level of consistency is Tampa playing at? I that mean, is that is the the underlying that, that's the quagmire of sport. It's, a, you know, a guy, a guy on a PGA tour that goes out. He's playing well and he goes out one weekend and he misses the cut by seven strokes. Can't make a four foot putt. What, what cause it? What, how, where does that come from? It drives people crazy. It gets coaches fired. It's, you know, your pitcher can't get anybody out. Your goaltender can't stop the puck. Your, your superstar goal scorer hasn't, hasn't hit the net in five games. It's, it's absolutely what drives people crazy inside the game. And it's what make end fans, but it's what makes it fun. Because on any given night, as the old saying goes, you know, any given Sunday, and and your team can always squeeze out a win. So that's why you keep showing up. You never know. It does. It drives people absolutely. It, it creates a situation where I wish there was more tenured coaches. <laughs> it's simply because I just don't buy into the mindset of a coach has lost the room. Um, you're telling me that a professional coach is not capable of – adapting and coming up with new systems if he needs to. Yeah, we were, we were changing around, changing around the vo- his voice a little bit to yeah. re-engage the room a bit. I, so I, I, w- I understand business side of things. It is what it is, but you know, I just, I wish there was more tenured coaches, like a Do coach, you- com- a coach comes in and he's the guy. And if you need to change some systems around on <laughs> any given year, fine. If you need to, you know, do this and that, fine. But aside from aside from consistently being at the basement of the league, I w- I wish there was at least an effort to 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 retain coaches and coaching staffs with a little more consistency. But so you've been a coach and you've been a player. Let me let me put that put the question to you. You've been you've been the coach of this team for two years. You know your personnel. Your roster is pretty stable. You're not making, you're not, you got to throw out the teams that have just won the cup and you got to throw out the teams that are in a rebuild. But for the other 20 or 25 teams in the league, you hit a stretch where your team is not playing well. Instead of getting rid of the coach, how, how practical do you think it is as a coach or as a player? How, how practical is it to remodel the, the style in which you play? Because I take the LA Kings, for example, they have completely redone the way they forecheck. They've completely redone the way they play in the neutral zone and look where it's getting them. Now, if you, you've got a team that's floundering, instead of getting rid of Jay Woodcroft 10 games into the season in Edmonton, you sit down with the GM and you go, look, you got to, you know, give me, give me two weeks, but we're going to go through, we're going to throw some extra practices in and some extra video meetings. And we're going to change the way we do this because it is not working. Agreed. Well, that's kind of, that's kind of my point now. That's what to I your, thought. To your question, the practicality of it in season is what to me can be discussed and debated um, especially when you're you're traveling and you're and you're moving and you're doing things like the practicality of of 
of it in season. To me, it's more practical if everybody's on board with it to the point where you understand that in order to do that, you take, you take our struggles up to this point and then you make peace with the fact that it's that through a restructuring of our systems and the way we do things, it's going to get worse because in order to do that, you're in season, you're, you're going to, you're going to lose games. You're going to drop in the standings. You're going to do these things. It's going to get worse. So is that a, whenever you decide to do it in, in, in the season, is that a moment where you management to coaching staff to players all sit down and go, we got to do something. We're, we're in a rebuild year. <laughs> let's, let's make peace that this is a rebuild year and let's change systems and change the things. Cause right now it's not working. Take, and, take and all, go from, and go from there. Have you seen, how much have you seen of the Ottawa senators this season so far? Not a lot. I saw them against Colorado the other night, but that was. They are, they are fast. They're skilled. They're large. They've got some veteran leadership. They've, they've obviously way underperformed now in Ottawa's cases might not be the best example because in a span of about 30 days, they went, they went through the ownership change or in the off season. Then they went through the Shane Pinto problem and his suspension. Then Pierre Dorian gets fired basically for his problem with the Dadnoff trade. So the team, as we talked about last time, the team has gone, they haven't had a stable week in, in six months since the end of last season. So a little bit different circumstances there, but that's a team that's underachieved drastically. And they went through a coaching change. So now Jock Martin is behind the bench and they've still lost, they've lost the first two games under him after DJ Smith was let go. If a lot of times you get a bump, from a coaching change, like in St. Louis or in Edmonton. But the same thing has happened. Okay, we got rid of Woodcroft, and now we're playing better, but our systems are different. Why do we not, as, as, a, as a game, why do we fire the coach instead of saying, look, you got, you know, I'm giving you 30 days here because we're going to play our way out of the season. You got to change the systems. It's not working. You got to do something different. You're the coach. You can see it instead of trying to force the players to do this and, and it, having it fail. Why don't we adjust the, the style of play to suit the players so that it does succeed? What? I don't understand this. You make a coach I, I don't either. And that's, kind of my, that's kind of my point is I, 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 I guess the way to, to answer your original, my original thought, your question, all this stuff is in a way that seems too simplistic, but it's still a valid answer. And that is, it can be done practically in season if you're willing to do it. But that takes a willingness to, to look in the mirror and go, okay, it's not, you know, it's not a Hitchcock problem. You know, it's not a talkit problem. It's not a this and that. It's a the systems just aren't aren't working. And let's let's give enough. Let's do something about it while giving enough 
creative credibility to the mind of some of the greatest coaches to ever coach in the game, like a Quenville and a Hitchcock and all this stuff that they're smart enough to sit down with the brain trust and rework, rework their special team systems and their forecheck systems and rework these things yep. to bring a change. This is, this is my, this is my, and, and I guess the point I'm saying is why not do that first? You're already inconsistent. You're already struggling. You're already there. Right. So why not put that layer in first? And if changing it that way doesn't work now, maybe change the coach because now something's not connecting, but at least, at least make an effort to, to creatively revamp your structure a bit and, and go from there, but nobody, nobody does it. It's the easy paper over it, see it to the coach. And then a lot of times what ends up happening is you bring in a new coach and whether it's new systems, anyway, growing pains, whatever, you still lose games and end up at the bottom anyway. So why not, why not try with the coach you have? Okay. Yes. So So. to wrap this up, you've got, some nights I see five or six guys behind the bench on any given for, with any given team. You got goaltender coaches. You've got special teams coaches, skill coaches, strength and conditioning coaches. You've got video coaches. You've got staffs of people that scout and that review tape and they do the, the amount of money that teams now spend on what I call the back office, where it used to be one guy standing behind the bench and maybe an assistant coach would run practice. But now you've got the resources to do all of this stuff. I mean, why are you, how are, how do you all of these hockey minds sit around and review video, watch games, sit in the box and look at it from the top and not see how we need to adjust our our game to suit our personnel or vice versa in order so that we don't have this constant carousel have some stability i i don't get it i think we're saying the same thing but i i don't understand it i i would not i just wouldn't get it if i was if i was the general manager i would not understand i go out and hire this guy i'm paying him a lot of money he's got a support staff of a dozen every day of the week and and we still can't understand that our that what we're doing isn't working if i'm management i'm going in when i hire a guy right like you know i i like him and so i hate to foreshadow what will inevitably happen at some point whenever it is but jared bednar in colorado you you hire him after patty law kind of ghosts out and everything. If I'm Sackick, I'm going, I'm bringing Bednar in the room and I'm going in the room and I'm telling this is our guy for X amount of time. Figure it out. Yeah. Figure it out. He's, he's the, he's the guy. So I'm Jared. I'm, I'm paying you X amount for however many years you figure it out. And if that takes change in systems, mid season, then do it, but figure it out because you're the guy, right? Other. And, and as a result, I'm telling the team that as well, so that the second there's any issues or inconsistencies, they understand that 
you're grown men making millions of dollars. This is not going to be a fold your arms and stick out your lower lip till coach is gone situation. Put your heads together, figure it out because you guys are now family. You guys are connected at the hip. This is it until his contract's done or anything catastrophic happens. It is what it is. And I'd set, I'd, I'd set that precedent. I mean, to me, that's, that's the way to do it, but I got, we're, I got a we're also sitting here. We're also sitting here on a microphone rather than behind an NHL bench. So, yeah. so there's that, there's that credibility aspect, but that's from an armchair fantasy booking style way of doing it. That's how I would do it. Here's look at Sullivan, Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh. Granted he's won cups, but so did Quenville in Chicago and he got fired. And so did Craig Berube in St. Louis and he got fired. But Pittsburgh sticks with him. And I got a theory about this. I Tampa, saw it Tampa's doing it with Cooper too. With, yeah. With Michelle Terrian many years ago in Pittsburgh. And the players just simply did not like him. They, he was, he had no vote of confidence from any of the, of the um, nucleus of that roster, you know, Sid and Malkin and Latang and everybody, he didn't have that. Sullivan does, which is why Sullivan can probably, Mike Sullivan can miss the playoffs for a couple of years. He's not going to lose his job. The players like him and they want to play for him. And there's not going to be any mutiny. If you go back a generation, you know, Mario, uh, Mar there was a couple of times when, when guys like Mario could get a guy fired. And I'm not saying necessarily that he did, but you get a, you get somebody that you, the players just cannot really get behind, don't like them. And it doesn't matter. Yes, I'm making millions of dollars. And yes, I'm a star. And yes, I'm in the show. I don't like this guy. I don't want to play for him. And I, and, and I believe that there's a, a whole lot to that when a guy gets fired. I think part of it is certainly that the that management has to bow to the pressure of winning or they're going to lose their job. But I, I still think if a player wants to play for a guy, it's going to show up a whole lot different at, in the end of, at the end of his career. True. And but that, again, how unfortunately we're never going to really know. And so that yeah. creates the discussion of, how much transparency should the, the league have in their communication? Because None. it seems to be, it seems to be the, the be all end all statement when a coach is fired is he lost the room. It's time for a change. And that could mean any number of things. So the only time Evan that I've ever had, you talk about transparency and there's only a few times in my life that I've had players that would just simply tell you, yeah, boy, we, you know, 18 of the 20 guys in that room didn't like him. It, it was just a matter of days. Is that a, is that a foreshadowing from, from Kyra's mm -hmm. comment then? You know, yeah. Is that yeah. one of those right, wrong, or indifferent? Is that one of those transparency moments where maybe Kyra isn't necessarily just speaking for himself? And maybe well, he, maybe he's just voicing the frustration and it's coming from him, but he's maybe speaking for the majority of the room that, Hey, you know what? Not my coach anymore type of thing. So, you know, I, you, you can read into a lot of things, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, the, the comments that I got were having beer at a golf outing, right? They weren't, 
they weren't in front of a microphone at a post-game presser. And I and part of Kairu's problem, uh, or the the way it came off, was that this was a this was a an emotional time. It's one of those deals where, as we talked about before, you got to you have to coach players in on the on the idea of dealing with the media so that when you're hot after a loss and you've been benched and you've lost four in a row and your ice time is going down and somebody asks you about what's going on with you and the coach or you and your line mates or something you got to have you got to go back to the clichés because to answer your original question how much transparency should there be absolutely none i don't i believe there should be zero transparency in outside of the room if you're having a problem with a line mate problem with a coach problem with a system problem with management that's understandable it's an emotional game everybody's got big egos and and they're and these are all type a personalities or they wouldn't be where they are keep it in the room so transparency should not be there and nobody should ever say anything about anybody until you know a couple of years after the fact and you're having a beer at a golf outing then then it's different but to have the media talking about it now or having players be able to say well we don't like this guy we don't want to play for him or that's what happened that's why he got fired i don't i would hate to be in that position and i don't think anybody should it's too the atmosphere needs to be kept more professional than that and i I do think i think we're training athletes even the ones that make it to the professional level we're training them at a young age that you know, if you don't like, if you don't like something, you know, start acting a certain way and, and you'll get what you want. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and everything like that, it's whether We've it's seen a lot of that. kids wanting equal ice time or it's any number of things with coaches or parents or anything like that. We, you know, all of a sudden we get our way. So now you get a, now you get a generation of professional athletes that come in and they're making millions of dollars and all this stuff. And now all of a sudden I'm not, you know, I'm Ryan Johansson in Colorado and Bedner is not playing me as much as maybe I thought I, he would, you know, and I'm not saying Ryan Johansson is doing this, but I'm just using this example. All of a sudden now we start, you know, Matt Duchesne style, we start acting out, we start not showing up to the captain's skate. We start doing things in a certain way. And all of a sudden, you know, in a way to, well, coach needs to be gone or I need to be gone, you know, type of attitude rather than being adults and weather in the storm. I mean, like it is it type of thing, you know, I'm quite confident in the way I, I'm, I was raised in the way I'm raising my child that, you know, I don't like the current job I'm at, but I'm not, you know, I'm not coming out hat in hand to different people so that I can just kind of tuck my tail between my legs and leave. Like I'm, you know, there's weathering a storm a bit to, till you, you get to where you need or want to be. And I don't think people are doing that. No, you, so now you get grown adults making millions who coach benched me. And now, well, I don't like him. So it, it, I think it, it speaks to a lot of that as well, but, um, Speaking of room comments, we'll transition. Two examples coming out of Colorado. What do you take of uh, the the Rantanen and Lekkonen situation? Lekkonen's dad, specifically. 
and then we'll we'll go from there and we'll talk about the comments that Devon Taves made after the loss to Chicago. That I, I thought the the Ranton and Lekkonen reference was was kind of funny, and I I believe that a that a guy like Lekkonen's dad who made the original comment about how hard Miko worked in the off season. If you make a comment like that about a guy who's as good as Miko Rantanen, you got to expect it. You got it coming. The only problem with that is that at some point they're going to be teammates again, maybe line mates again. So the two of them have to sort that out. And I've seen a whole lot worse things get sorted out between teammates than that. So the, the issue with the issue though, is you open yourself up and I know Lekkonen, and I know it's not Lekkonen, it's Lekkonen's dad more than anything. Um, and I'm, conf- I'm confident in that with the chemistry and the bond that's built in that room. I, I believe in it and I'm, I'm confident in it. But you open yourself up now, if you're Lekkonen's dad, you open your son up to criticism. Sure. Because now, at least this year, yes, he's Lekkonen is injured. But... Nonetheless, you open him up to criticism. Randon had 55 goals last year and was in the top 10 for heart discussion. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to look it up. I can't, I don't have off the top of my head, know the stats that Lekkonen finished with, but it wasn't anywhere close. No. And this year, yes, he's dealing with a scary, scary injury. And I'm not undermining that. You, you do what you need to, you rest, you heal, you do what you need to. But nonetheless, Rantanen's got 30, 36 to 40 points or so in 30 games. And Lekkonen has only played 12 games, yes, but he's eight points and minus three. Like, you, you open your son up to comparison type of criticisms if you're if you're not careful especially when you make comments about Miko Rantanen who has since he came into the league has only gotten better each year and is a top line producer and like it just it's it's not a it's not a good look now I will say that I will say that do I think Lekkonen's dad meant any malice by anything? No. Do I think, you know, language barrier or whatever else, he was just simply commenting on the struggles of Miko Rantanen, which, by the way, the whole team has been inconsistent and struggling, not just Miko, and it got blown out of proportion? Absolutely. Nonetheless, though, you it points to the fact that you need to be careful about the things that are said publicly because they will be taken every which way. You, you have to, you can't make a careless comment and not expect blowback. I wondered at the time whether that was even, whether he was even joking. I mean, you, the guy scores 55 goals and is at the top of the game, just coming off a Stanley cup win and you're going to criticize what how hard he works in the off season. I thought originally that was that was a joke. Maybe they were pals, and he was just giving him a hard time. I, I, it's, I thought the same thing until Miko said what he said post game that that one night. Yeah, 
And then I was kind of like, oh, okay. Because I thought the same thing. Maybe it's in jest where he's kind of like, oh, well, no wonder he's struggling. The guy didn't touch a weight all off season. So, you know, this and that until Miko said what he said post game. And I was like, "Mm, maybe there's a little more angst to this than I thought. Um, Speaking of comments, public and in the room and all this stuff, there is the Devon Taves comment um, after the loss to Chicago. Um, I'm sure you read about it or heard it. I did. Um, Get, I want to get your thoughts on that um, in regards to um, the context and in regards to media and the room and transparency. He didn't name a name specifically. You could infer who he was talking about and there were probably a, a carload of them. But when you get when you get walled by somebody as bad as Chicago this year, you got to expect that. I see no problem with it. He didn't call out a specific guy. He didn't call out anybody by name, but he did say, we're not playing well enough. And he wasn't quite that polite about it. There's guys that think they're playing okay and they're not. And he's absolutely right. There's a difference between being right. And especially when you are a player, you have, he's got a little bit more, he's got more street cred to criticize somebody and do it politely through the media without naming names than a guy like if he was serious, uh, Lekkonen's dad, who's a media guy and was criticizing somebody who is one of the top players in the game. I got no, I have no issue with it. When you get, when you play that poorly against a team that's that bad and get beat, you have to have it. You got it coming. Yep. You got it coming, but you also, there's also something to be said in the, in a, um, it was commented on um, in a championship room, like in Colorado, the bond they have a championship room. There's also something, a, a benefit of the doubt and something to be said for the fact that anything that's said publicly has already been discussed privately. That's yeah, that's exactly so, right. And so anybody that says something publicly in any type of way is not speaking out of turn because it, that's already been dealt with and discussed and talked about behind closed doors. Yep. So there's something to be said for the fact that going into the Chicago game, that room had the discussion that we collectively are not playing as well as we think we are. Correct. And then they still go out and lose to Chicago. So now Taves, Taves says it. So I, I think there's something to that as well, that, Taves yeah. is a professional enough guy. He's not going to say it unless, unless coach and the, the leadership group has already discussed it behind closed doors. Yeah, and that's, that's why there was no, there was no real, I mean, people in the media tried to create something out of that where, where there was nothing there, but that's why the, there was never any, uh, never any aftershock from that comment from Devin Taves, because what you don't want to have happen is your coaching staff and management, your teammates and everybody else picking up social media or otherwise and saying, he said, what? And when that happens, now you got problems. He, what? He, he, what, what, what? Never heard of such a thing. But when we've already hashed this out for the last two or three days inside the room and at practice and over dinner and over beer and everything else, we already sorted this out. Now, when he's asked about it and he lets somebody have it, 
lets the team have it in general, nobody's shocked by it. We've all been dealing with this for the last two weeks. We know we're playing poorly. No big deal. It's it's no different than than you know a a fight in practice or a fight in training camp or something. It's just it's the way things go. It's when you got a bunch of competitive people who are on edge because they're not satisfied with themselves or with the team. These things happen. It's not a big, uh, and that's why I didn't think that one was a big deal. And I still wonder if the truth will ever come out back to the Lekkonen story that that became more of an issue because nobody except for Lekkonen and, and Rantanen knew that they were giving each other a hard time. It would be the same as the way you and I would do it or, or, or you and Zach or something like that. Like give each other a rough time. Uh, you want to, you're, you're chirping me about my, my workout habits in the summer. Take that, you know, look, look what I just did now pound it. And that, that I thought that's what it was because I couldn't believe anybody would criticize um, a guy like Rantanen. But yep. so anyway, that, that's how you, you just got to be careful with that stuff. Naming names, having not sorted it out prior, and then it shows up in the media or it shows up at a post-game presser, unprofessional, uncalled for, and out of bounds. Should not happen. Agreed. Agreed. A um, couple things to finish on. Uh, the, okay. league, the league has upheld David Perron's six-game suspension. Um, yeah, he's going to appeal that again, but I don't think it'll work. Well, by it's the not- time they by the time it appeals, his six games will be served. So, oh. and yeah. so that's I've never fully grasped the that process like that. Simply because by the time it gets filed, read, dealt with, the three, four, eight game, whatever it is, is already served. So, I. And this isn't a criminal situation, so it's not like there's a record, like a permanent record right. type thing. So I've never understood that process. Nonetheless, they've upheld the six-game suspension. So has there ever been one overturned? I can I can't think of a time when I got ten games and then the PA appealed it and they said, "Okay, you're right. We'll, we'll just make it four. I've 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 seen, and I'm drawing a blank. So don't ask me for specific names and incidents, but. There has been in years past situations. Um, Tom Wilson was one um, where it was reduced. I've never seen where they've gone. You know what? You're right. Suspension null and void. You're good oh, to go. Okay. Um, yeah. I've seen some reductions. If I remember correctly, one of them was a Tom Wilson suspension where he got, what was it? 18 games or, or, or whatever it was. What I had, I had, and it might not even be Wilson. It might be somebody else, but nonetheless, and it was reduced to 10 or 12 or, or, you know, something like that. Um, but in terms of, in terms of complete cancellation of the, of a suspension, I've never seen that. Maybe adjustment. Um, you know, you pick a good example because if you check, if you check the suspension history of Tom Wilson and Brad Marchand, uh, you're probably taking, half the league's suspensions over the last 10 years. Yeah. Yep. Um, Sam Gerard back at practice. Yeah. Good. Um, Good for him. In terms of his mental health, in terms of everything going on, good for him. I'm still an advocate from a business perspective that his $5 million cap 
and some of his inconsistent play should put him on the trade block. Um, Now, how you navigate that, how you navigate that while he's dealing with what he's dealing with, um, I don't know. Um, But to me, uh, when you're looking, especially after the Tatar trade, when you're looking to make another type of big move, rumor being you're you're in on Elias Lindholm out of Calgary, Gerard's $5 million is one that needs to be offered to go the other way. They, it, just, it just is what it is. I don't, I don't think be confident, Evan, that they have been trying to move that contract for a year and a half. I, I think the best you can hope for is that you may get a conditional middle round pick out of him, but who knows? I, I just, he, he's, he's become more uh, expendable with the play of Malinsky and um, Byram. And by, yeah, and, and Caleb Jones has been playing pretty decent too. And and uh, I, I just don't think uh, I don't think that the value is there, which is why they can't move him and why they're going to have to. And at some point, you're probably going to have to put him on waivers if you can't get a conditional pick out of him. You got to waive him or or do something with him just to give it up. Yeah, agreed. Um, final question, um, kind of a loaded question because. You're the, you're the first to jump in defense of it. And so there's, there's not always a lot of discussion around it, but thoughts so far at about the halfway mark on the officiating this year. Disappointing consistency. Um, again, I, I go back to what we talked about last week, which was a little bit of, why that uh, why that David Perron suspension happened in the first place because there was no call when as you know from when you played and I coached you know if if the referees aren't going to look take care of your players then we'll take care of ourselves but we're going home safe with or without your protection and it's been disappointing in in cases of uh, you know the the Lekanen injury with um, Alexiak. Wasn't that it? Yeah. Alexiak? Yeah. Um, that, you know, there's just the frustration runs so high when there's some inconsistency. And I'm going to give this back to, and I'm not going to name any names here out of respect, but the, the demographic of the official fraternity, linesman and referee, has gone from old guard. 20-year guys know the game, feel the game, feel the pulse of the teams and the benches and what's going on on the ice and the atmosphere in the building. They feel it. And I, I believe that with the retirement of some of the older guys and the demographic of the official roster becoming younger and younger, I don't think there's a lot of guys out there that have developed that feel yet. And I see it happen, and and when I do, it's it, it's generally somebody that's just not got the years under their belt. And I'll leave it at that. I, I just I know they try, and I know they're under pressure. It's a fast game, and I know that in general, the officials only call what the board of governors tells them to call, 
The rule changes they don't control. How they want the game called, they don't control it. They just execute it. And so it's a very difficult situation for them. But there's a there's a different feel when you have the experience under your belt. And I, and I see some inconsistency with some of the younger guys. And it's it's a little bit troubling, but... Is that when, is that an excuse though? No, it's, it's not. It's, it's like even at a, as a player, you're now at the professional level, so there's got to be, you got to come in with it with an understanding. And I, I, I just, you know, I, I point to, and I don't, I hate to be one of those guys because you see it all the time with, with idiots on on national television when they talk about the police or anything like that. So I don't want to be one of those guys, but there's something to be said for the fact that you've got four officials and eight eyeballs and 12 cameras and a review process and the war room in Toronto and all these things. And yet you still can't get it right. And you still can't get it consistent. And you're still, you're still giving a five and a 10 to, to Josh Manson because Besser decided to, to flop, flop around like a fish out of water. Like it's those types of things. And, you know, I, I, and it's not just with the avalanche, it's across the entire okay. league, there, this inconsistency with how they do things. And, and I'll, I'll jump to the defense and the Lekkonen thing to Alexiak. That was a fluke thing where he just kind of sh- moved to the side and kind of, he just shrugged him off, shrugged him off and Lekkonen lost his balance. But yeah. nonetheless, the point is there's a lack of of consistency but there but the one thing that they are consistent about which makes it a makes the problem that that more prevalent is the one thing they are consistent about is putting a stop to anybody that decides to come in defense of their teammates right that's the one thing that they they're they're 100 consistent mm -hmm. on so all of a sudden you get teams that when their player gets hit from behind nobody does anything and and it's it's a situation. It's a, sometimes it's a situation less about whether or not there's any passion in that room and more the fact that they know that the second they do something, they're penalized, not the other guy. And now their team's shorthanded in more ways than one, because now they've lost a guy to injury to a bad play. And you've now got a, a five minute, two minute game misconduct because you've jumped in in defense. And that's the one thing they're consistent about. And I don't understand it. Because it's okay. one of those things where if you're not going to call it, Ryan Reeves is going to jump in and he's going to make, he's going to handle it. Yeah. But if, but it. You know, yeah. Don't, don't bother calling the penalty. We've got a guy that'll handle it. Just go, go sit down and the next shift out, we'll take care of it ourselves. You can't do that anymore because of the rule changes. The league has gone away from anybody being able to police themselves. And, and that part of it, I don't blame so nearly so much on the officiating I blame that on the board of governors and the, and the uh, rules committee. <clears throat> but also one of the things that, that is on the players and the coaching staff is knowing who's out there and back, you know, this has been a long time ago now that I coached, but first thing I did when I got to the rink at night was see who we've got to work with. And, and I knew I knew if it was any one of these five or six guys, we were fine. We're in good shape. Don't worry about it. Just play the game. And I knew that if it was one, if it was somebody out of this pool of, of officials over here, we were going to have trouble. You got to keep your head up, keep your elbows up, 
because they're not going to protect us. They're not going to call this game straightforward. So we got to, we got to make sure we look after ourselves. And so if you've got the right guys out there or the wrong guys that, you know, you got to be a little bit more careful with that's on the players and on the coaching staff, but it is also the responsibility of the officials to make sure they call it consistent. If, and that's all anybody wants, whether it's an umpire calling balls and strikes or whatever, just make sure it's the same from beginning to end. So we know what to do, what we're dealing with at night. And that's the, that's the troubling part. That's what you've talked about several times. And that consistency, I believe comes with experience. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm, you know, me, I'm not ready to jump in and say, boy, they really got a problem with the quality of officials. Do, do there need to be tweaks? Yes. And when the guys, when the veteran guys who have retired, who now are in charge of uh, official supervisors who review games and sit down with the guys after and look at film and, and discuss ins and outs, maybe that's, maybe that's part of that responsibility that comes back from the veterans saying, you, you, can't, you can't do this in the first period and do it that, the opposite way in the third period. You got to clear that up. And you know, it's it's a it's just like we talked about systems and coaching staffs and players and and wins and losses and coaching changes and everything else. It's just a it's a work in progress. It never you'll never get it quite right. But as long as they keep working at it, keep trying, that's all you can ask for. Yep. Pretty wishy washy answer though. Well, I knew I knew you'd give it because you've given some of the personal relationships you have based on all these different things, you're the first one to, to defend the situation, even if it is a bad situation. Yeah. But so I knew when I asked, it would be something like that. Um, yeah. But hey, look, hey, look at my, this my argument is my argument is, is this, if they can consistently call it in a way that keeps people from policing it, the game themselves, then they're capable of consistency. So now there's no excuse to not be consistent in, in the other aspects. And you're just, I, I struggle with this idea that they're beyond criticism, like, you know, and, and whether it's, whether it's you or it's anybody else, we we're not allowed to criticize them when they deserve to be criticized. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's something like that, and 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 lately over the past few years, whether whether it's them, whether it's because of the the changes for, with the league, whether it's whatever, they deserve to be criticized. They just do. There's a lack of consistency, and a, and it makes it more dangerous. Well, and, just because you just because you haven't had a traffic accident in ten years doesn't mean you can't go out and back over your own mailbox. It happens. People make mistakes. Referees make mistakes. Linesmen make mistakes. Was it easier? And I would love to actually, I'm not asking this rhetorically. I would love to have been able to talk to a guy like John McCauley or Red Story or somebody like that, that was an official back in the 70s, 80s, even into the 90s, and ask if it was easier when the rule book was about a quarter of the size that it is now, but then the players policed themselves <laughs> So you didn't have the responsibility to call, to make a judgment call on as nearly as many penalties as they do today. But you also had to jump in and sort out line brawls twice a week because the place, you know, the benches would explode and there was nothing they could do. 
So there's a there's a trade off to both, and uh, I, you know, I being from the old school that I am, I don't care much for the way they do it today, but I can see why it's a little easier for the guys now than it was 30 years ago when you're just you're trying to break up fights, benches are emptying, and and there's just bedlam everywhere. I get it, and that's when people police themselves is now stuff gets out of control and you got, you need the riot squad. So I understand it, but they're, yeah, I think the guys, as, as we've talked to the officials that, that you and I both know that all they want to do is get it right. They don't care if it's video review or if it's Toronto or how it gets done right, but they just want the right call to be made. That's all. And so you know, I, I believe 100% that their hearts are in the right place. And do they always have the right call? Obviously not. But it's part of the game. It's just part of the game. Well, on that note, we'll, we'll close things out. Um... <laughs> Next week, let's talk World Juniors. It'll be in full swing next time we record. Yeah, so we'll enjoy, we'll enjoy Christmas. We'll we'll do all that. And we'll next week we can do um, a World Junior talk. Um, amongst some other topics. So, yep, it'll be good. We've got a we've got a full three day break uh, in the show because Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and Boxing Day, all three are blanks on the schedule. So we'll have uh, have a little spare time to to watch World Juniors start up and and put a put a review on that. Yep, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you joining again this week. Um, um, always my pleasure. I love it. Warm the Hockey Podcast on social media. So follow us there. Um, engage with us, talk to us. Um, we got to re we'll start to reach out in the new year too, for, um, for some guests to join us on zoom and, um, and get some recordings done and, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, keep things moving. It'll be fun. Yep. Looking forward to it. Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, yep. Merry Christmas joining in and, and, uh, yeah, look for World Junior to update next week, and and uh, thanks for having me on. It's always yeah. fun. We appreciate everybody, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Got it. Cheers, bud. <laughs>